This is episode eight of the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Deal and James Lee. Hello, Internet. On today's episode, we are going to take a wild ride and talk about the future of youth ministry in the 21st century. James, you know, when I hear the word teenager in the 21st century, that image scares me. For me, it's with my crash helmet on and my body (laughs) armor ready to go. (laughs) Well, uh, when I think of youth ministry, uh, I I get a little stressed. I think it's one of those things every church knows that they should be doing, but either they aren't, don't know how, or don't know how to do it well. So I'm really excited for today's guest, Dr. Kenda Creasy-Dean. Kenda is the professor of youth, church, and culture at Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, Kenda is also an author of numerous books on young people in the church, including Almost Christian, and most recently, How Youth Ministry Can Change Theological Education If We Let It. And she wrote that with Christy Lang Harrelson. We are also excited that Kenda will be the keynote speaker at our upcoming Ignite Youth Leaders Day on February 11th. Kenda, we're excited to have you on. Hi. Hi, Kenda. <laughs> Thank you, Kenda, so much for being here today. And James, we just sure. want to right, go right into the question. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into youth ministry? <laughs> it's actually really straightforward. I mean, I was the I was a kid with great youth leaders and um, we had really well-meaning, completely untrained and in the lar- a lot of ways ill-equipped volunteers um, who were just faithful as all get out to showing up with the kids to why these adults continued to hang out with us I is beyond me because we com- we totally considered them expendable. But um, <laughs> they, they, nonetheless, the, those youth leaders in particular, they, they believed in me irrationally before there was any evidence why they ought to. And I've spent 40 years trying to pay that forward. So so ultimately, it's people invested in you uh, when you were a youth, and then you continue the journey. So uh, from your like research, uh, what have just kind of give us an overview of some of your research and what you found most interesting when it came to uh, the faith journeys of teenagers? Well, there's been a lot. I mean, one of the interesting things is that we have research on youth ministry now. That wasn't a thing that even existed 20 years ago. And that's a mixed bag, right? Because it's a good thing that we know um, some of the uh, details about adolescent faith. The downside of it is not all of it's good news. turns out that an awful lot of things that we thought made a big difference in adolescent faith doesn't make as much of a difference as we thought it did. Some of the things that we paid very little little attention to makes a big difference. And what are some examples of these? Of, yeah. yeah. It turns out that things like Bible study and prayer and spiritual practices are pretty important in forming adolescent faith. It turns out that um, things like mission trips and um, some of those things are really important in helping develop teenagers as human beings. They are not as um, directly related to developing adolescent faith. Hmm. as um, we like to think they are. They do a lot of good things for teenagers, um, and we don't want to not do them, but we can't assume that going on a mission trip by itself is going to necessarily help a young person understand themselves in relationship to Christ. 
Um, that has to be something that is developed um, through um, relationships with adults of faith is a really important variable there, um, parents in particular. Probably the biggest variable that we have not really paid attention to is uh, the importance of parental faith. It's one of those things that we think we can invest in teenage faith without investing in parental faith. And it turns out that kids tend to mirror their parents very, very closely in terms of the kind of um, uh, faith patterns that they adopt. And so we, the first thing we need to do is really invest in parents' faith and the faith of the adults who love them, which is our congregations, too. You can't really just jump to the teenagers. You've got to really invest in the faith formation of all the adults who love them, too. You know, what do you suggest for parents and youth leaders who are trying to open the conversation up with the teenagers about faith and becoming spiritually mature? And I think more so, how to speak publicly about their faith to their peers? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, And I think one of the things that we have, we just, we just forget that faith is part of our language outside of these little isolated communities. And it's, it's, we're even afraid to talk about faith in churches a lot of the time. Right. That's right. really an astonishing finding, but it's true. And that's borne out again and again and again, that really pastors are allowed to talk about faith, but nobody else is, you know, mm-hmm. even in churches. So we have lost the ability to talk about faith, even in faith communities in a lot of ways. And interestingly, sometimes teenagers in youth groups are better at talking about their faith than their parents are, even in the same church, because youth ministry winds up being intentional about helping teenagers do that in ways that we never do with parents. And what's really fascinating and also frustrating is we know that the most important faith story a teenager needs to hear is the faith story of their parents. And yet we never give parents the tools to help them talk about that. We might say to them, oh, you should tell your kids your faith story, but we never give them practice about the the practice of testimony generally is falling apart. We'll we'll tell kids to write out their faith map. We give them colors, crayons, and, you know, exercises to do this and, you know, all these different crazy ways that we have them talk about their faith. Never have I seen that happen with adults. So we don't give parents tools to do that, even in congregations. And so parents don't have tools really to do this with even who come to church. And there's not much modeling that goes on. So we just don't have a lot of practice, number one. But it also is true that we sort of lost the ability to talk about faith in normal conversation um, because we think that we have to use cheesy Jesus talk, you know, or we're not talking about our faith somehow. And there, uh, Rich Melheim, who is a Lutheran pastor who talks about how families can talk about faith more. He has kind of a, a rubric that is helpful. And I think it's speak, pray, share, sing, bless, something like that. Meaning there are lots of ways that we can bring our faith language into our normal conversations. So lots of us will read to our our children, you know, Bible stories and so on when they're young before bedtime and that kind of stuff. And we forget to do that, you know, continue those conversations as as we grow older. And we forget that there are things that we might read that have faith implications as we even in the news as as we grow older. So when we talk about what's in the news, to to remember to tie that into faith. 
as a as a matter of conversation. What does it mean if we read a story about refugees from Syria to even mention that that has something to do with what God says about the stranger? You know, that as a matter of a faith conversation. Uh, so those are that's one way that parents can remember that this is just a matter of conversation. A really common way that um, it, we can bring that into the conversation with teenagers is when they start talk, talking about filling out their college applications, right? They're, one of the things everybody wants to know, what's your major going to be? Mm-hmm. But how often do we bring that into a conversation about vocation? You know, it's, it's what are you going to do for your major? Well, what when does that get tied into what does that have to do with your call, your giftedness, That what gifts has God given you? Well, that's a faith conversation, right? And those that is language that we are sometimes reluctant to use, or most of the time, it just doesn't even occur to us. We separate those worlds so completely. Um, one of the other categories that he talks about is bless. And I think that's a beautiful one. <laughs> you know, re, we talk about going into your closet to pray. I know that's in the Bible, but sometimes crack the door a little so that your <laughs> kids can overhear you bless them. Here's how not to do it. We, it's possible that I did this, which is how I learned not to ever do this. You know, I, my kids are in their twenties and I definitely would like a do over on just so much, but, um, you know, I would remember most when I should have been talking about faith with my kids, um, when they were in trouble, (laughs) that's not the time to do it. You know, I would be like, okay, now you really need to, now you need to be praying. Right, because you <laughs> really screwed up, and it's time to go back to Sunday school. Right, that would not be the most effective time to be throwing that back into it. Yeah, so. I like when you said um, creating this safe space. So I want to touch a little bit more on that. How can you know parents and youth leaders create this safe space where teenagers can talk openly um, if they have questions or if they have concerns or not really sure the direction they want to go in? Well, there's no safe space without trust, right? So the, it's about relationships of trust. Um, I think that the safe space is, starts with creating the relationship. Um, there's the, Look, there's no program that is going to accomplish a darn thing in terms of, in terms of conversation, in terms of faith formation, in terms of just plain access to teenagers, it's all about relationship, you know? So, you know, you could ditch every program in the book and just focus on relationships and you would be a lot further in youth ministry than if you read every youth ministry book out there. So when, when we mentioned relationships, and even relationships, though, uh, look kind of different uh, now than it did, say, 20 years ago, especially with uh, technology and social media, right? Yeah, even right. the word friend right. now is a verb, right, to friend someone. Um, so uh, yeah. sh- here's <laughs> right. a big question that we, we got is, uh, should leaders be using social media and technology when talking about uh, faith with their youth and uh, be engaging their youth through social media, um, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Kick, what, what have you, apps keep coming up. Um, and what are what are some of the boundaries when it comes to this? Because it's kind of new and the rules behind social media and interactions are not set in stone yet, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, should they... You're not going to be able not to. I mean, it's the that's like saying, you know, if you want to live without a phone, you could, but 
Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you'd have to live, be Amish or something, I think. But so I don't see that as really an option of not using it, but there's a way to use it well, and there's a way not to use it well, and there's a way to be responsible with it and a way not to be responsible. Great book on this is called Beyond the Screen. Andrew Zersky is the author. And um, it's an excellent book for um, youth leaders doing this, for people who are looking for that. The big thing is that you you don't want to um, <laughs> you don't want to abuse technology any more than you want to abuse a face to face relationship. There are ways in which the technology opens doors to relationships and makes them easier, and ways that also makes them less safe too. I mean, you you've got to be aware of power dynamics in the social media world in the same way that you have to be aware of them in the face-to-face world. And I know plenty of people who don't engage in social media relationships online with their with kids that they are supervising at all. And I, I can respect that as well. That being said, there are also a lot of um, pastors who say that they have had very important relationships with um, teenagers that have where they have learned things about going on with kids lives that they do not see regularly enough face to face to have known without the access to some kind of a social media um, venue. So I don't, I don't consider the medium to be what's the problem. I think it's not good enough to just go into anything that creates a relationship naively with teenagers. You've got to pay attention to who's got the power and you've got to use it well and wisely. Where do you see, you know, youth, just like our world, is all changing. So when you kind of started out in youth ministry, how's that, how has it evolved over the years? And, you know, we're, you know, talking with teenagers and how they receive the message and respond to the message and grow in the church for years to come. I think a lot of the dynamics that have changed have to do with the social currency that religion has generally. Back when I was starting in ministry, you still got some points socially for going to church. You know, you don't really anymore. And if you didn't really feel all that religious, you might still go through the motions because you thought that might be a good thing to do. But I don't see a lot of kids feeling a need to do that anymore. You know, it's we can be a good person without being religious. Why, why bother with the religious part? And I don't see that as a huge wave of apostasy. I feel like it's a generation of young people that are just trying to be honest. Look, it's what I think they're saying. The church hasn't really um, lived up to what it says it's supposed to be. And that is, it's it's supposed to be about life change. It's supposed to be about something worthy of life and death. It's supposed to be a life and death commitment. You know, people are supposedly willing to die for this stuff. I don't see anything really here worth dying for. Okay, drop the facade and get back to work (laughs) and let's be who we say we are. And I think that's a message that kids both hear and appreciate. That is true. I think the big key word uh, we're hearing from especially maybe even millennials and younger generations is is authenticity. Right. So, yeah, that's so drop the facade. You say, right. Be real. (laughs) Church, be real. Um, This is a. Uh, more of a personal question, so you could uh, answer it however you want. But um, who's more important in student faith formation, the youth pastor, the youth volunteer, or the parents? The parents, hands down. 
I mean, parents never believe this, right? Because they're always going, oh, my kid never listens to a thing I say, right? But they watch everything you do. And at the end of the day, it's great to be loved by your youth pastor. But what's going to send you into therapy is not how your youth pastor treated you. It's how your parents treated you. What every kid longs for is that parent who will love them enough to die for them. And that is the love of the gospel right there. When they get that kind of love, the gospel takes root. And that is that is our that is my prayer, you know, that the gospel will take root in the next uh, in the future generations to come. And uh, I think I'm a parent now, and I'm starting to repent of my ways and ask my parents for forgiveness of just not listening to them. <laughs> but I'm hearing all this, and I'm like, you know, sometimes my daughter's too, and sometimes I'm like, you know, I feel like she's a teenager already. Like she's she refuses to listen to me, and she gives me attitude, and uh, but. <laughs> She's just practicing for when she's 16. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some tools we can give parents? What's a toolbox that we can say, look, parents, this is what you need to do. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, there I think there are some concrete things. And and to be clear, you know, as much as we would like to model faith for our kids, faith is God's gift to give. It's not ours to give them. We can't control for our kids faith, you know. We can share with them faith as something we love, not something we know. That'll help because um, too often we think faith is, oh, let's teach them everything we know. And that scares parents to death because that's when they come to, they're, they're like, wait a minute, I don't know a thing about my faith. And then they, then they, that's when they go, okay, we're going to take them to church and get them done by the professionals. Uh. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah, no. Um, well, the first thing, the, the first thing you can't, you can't give what you don't have, right? So you have to invest in your own faith. And you, and the I think the first tools that go in the toolkit are practices that deepen your own walk with Christ. And congregate everything everything that's true for parents is true for congregations too, because most kids don't have parents who are serious about their faith. And what we know from the research is that congregations can fill in the gaps, right? So. Um, it's very true for congregations as well as for parents to invest in your own faith, get a tool kit filled with spiritual practices. Not every person responds to the same spiritual practices. I mean, I think prayer is the most important thing ever. And I am awful at it. You know, I rely on the spiritual warriors in my congregation who are great at it. I'm much better at other, more active forms of spiritual spirituality, you know, um, give me a, (laughs) Give me a hammer and a nail, and I'll go on a mission trip in a mi- minute. You know, and I'm better at stuff like that. Um, but um, we need all of them. You know, so create a culture of spiritual practice that lots and lots of ways people can engage in those. Um, another thing, I, I, I usually call it speak Christian at home. <laughs> you know, so that the so that church isn't the only place they ever hear the language of faith spoken. You can't learn to frame your own life in the ter- in terms of faith, if you never hear it spoken, you know, you, your, your faith, like your native language is the one you speak at home. So speak Christian at home, say grace before meals, talk about, you know, being blessed as opposed to being lucky, you know, use the categories of faith to talk about the news when you hear it on TV. Um, the fact that there, we had an inauguration today, the fact that there, you know, the president takes an oath on a Bible. What's that about? You know, what does that mean when you see that those images in our culture, here we are as a church and here we are as a nation and 
How do those come together for us? What do what does that mean? Where where does that make sense? Where does that not make sense? Those are conversations that teenagers have the critical skills to really think about. And half the time, you know, we we treat teenagers as people who have grown out of Bible stories. We tell them stories when they're little, and then when they get older, we're like, oh, they're critical thinkers now. They, but there's a lot about faith that they need to keep, you know, working with as they get older. And and a big one is take some spiritual risks, you know, in our own lives, in our own families. Um, make it look like your faith matters to you, <laughs> like it, like you live differently because of it. And different families do different things because of that. You know, um, I know families that have fam- do family mission trips together. I know families that give away twenty um, percent of their income. And but it's important that your kids know that you're doing that not because you're a nice person, that you're doing it because this is what people who follow Jesus do you know, and that they understand that you're making these choices, these choices that invite, I had a grandmother who would invite homeless people to sit at the Thanksgiving table with us. I remember this homeless guy coming in to Thanksgiving when I was in junior high. I'm like, who is this guy? But for my grandmother, this wasn't, she as she could do no other as a woman of faith. Here was this homeless guy. Of course, she was going to make room at the table for him. That's who she. That's who she was. That's what she did, and it was just part of her way of living it out. And it, it was clear that if you're going to be who you say you are, this is how you're going to live your life. And it's not because you're nice. You might be nice, or you might be crotchety. It really doesn't matter. You're a Christian, and that's what Christians do. Because nice overlooks a whole lot of things in the name of kind of a mealy moused we're just going to overlook differences so we all get along faith can t- can embrace real difference and still embrace each other because of who we're tethered to is just our god is too big not to make room for the other it's never too late for your kids to see your faith matter to you it's never too late. How can youth leaders bring in parents? How can like youth leaders kind of bring in parents into youth meetings or Sunday school to kind of like pull it all together in a way? Because I tried that and uh, all, all the kids are like, oh, mom is here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, I think it's absolutely important to have parents involved in youth ministry in direct ways too. But really what parents need, parents need good youth ministry themselves. We've got to learn to do youth ministry with grownups. Parents, the quality of discipleship formation that their kids are getting. Their kids are getting way more relational ministry than parents are getting. They're getting way better small group ministry than most parents are getting. They're getting a lot more intentional discipleship formation than most parents are getting. And a lot of parents would just love that for themselves. If they've got to choose, they're going to want it for their kids. But, you know, if we could do small group, create the kind of community and small groups with parents that we're trying to create with our young people, parents would respond to that just with such gratitude because they're scared because there is nothing scarier in the world than being a parent. For us to learn how to do youth ministry with grownups is probably the best gift we could give parents. And so they might get involved in the youth ministry as as volunteers, but I kind of think we got to back the truck up a little bit more than that. And just start doing youth ministry with grownups. 
Wow, you blew James's mind. <laughs> Mic drop right then. I feel like a, a fuse in my brain well, just kind of blew up. Uh, here's, what here's what I think is the most fascinating kind of youth ministry, and it's the youth ministry of this century. I'll, I'll talk about this when we have our, our little shindig on the 11th, but I it blows my mind that people can be in churches and sit and go, we don't have youth. So we don't have youth ministry. We don't have youth. I'm like, have you looked around? There are youth. They exist. They exist in the world. They exist in your county. They exist in your zip code. Just because they aren't in your congregation doesn't mean you don't have youth. You have youth. The youth ministry of this century is going to be not to necessarily to the youth we know. I mean, a third of United Methodist congregations report having no young people. And somehow we have concluded result, as a result of that, that therefore we don't need a youth minister. How in the world did we get to that? Because last I checked, we still have young people in the world. And last, those young people still need Christ. And that still requires the church to bear witness to those young people. So that means we still have to do youth ministry. Now, what that means is youth ministry just may not be located in the church. It just might mean that we are going to be the people who have to turn around and look outdoors and find ways to represent Christ to young people who aren't in the church. Well, youth ministry has been the research and development arm of the church since day one. And if we're going to learn how to be the missional church, this is how we're going to learn it, is we're going to figure out how to do that. So that means we're going to learn how to take Christ outside the congregation and figure and I don't mean we're hitting people over the head with Bibles. I mean we're gonna say we are the people who champion you. Why? Because we think you are a child of God. Now you don't have to think that, but we think so. And that means we think you're awesome. We're your champions. What do you need? Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, just just a quick plug. I mean, I'm excited that one of the uh, one of the workshops for Ignite Youth Leaders Day is actually how to start youth ministry from scratch. Uh, so that's something to look out for as well. I I'm just blown away, Kenda. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge. It so really much. tickled yeah. uh, tickled my spirit too, just because of my uh, past in youth ministry. I'm so excited just hearing from what you were saying today. I'm very looking forward to hearing more from you at. A, Ignite Youth Leaders Day. Um, we do have a final question, though, that we ask every guest. Um, <laughs> this is okay. the toughest question out of all of them. That we we saved the you. worst question for us. <laughs> so, if you, so we're the uncovered dish, Methodists love to eat. So, our final question is if you had to choose one food to eat for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks oh. as well. Don't try to sneak the snacks in there. Snacks as well. What would that one food be? It has to be enchiladas or something, Tex-Mex. <laughs> yeah. I could pretty much do morning, noon, and night Tex-Mex. So, yeah. That's, you You owe me now. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Tex-Mex together. Right? 
So let's go yeah. out, get some good Tex-Mex. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. All right. So again, uh, everybody, that was uh, Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean. She is professor of youth, church, and culture at Princeton Theological Seminary. She is going to be a keynote speaker at Ignite Youth Leaders Day on February 11th at Calvary United Methodist Church in East Brunswick, New Jersey. Thank you, Kenda. We look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll see you on the 11th. Okay. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Take care. I wish I didn't suck at teaching confirmation class. I want to take my youth on a mission trip, but I have no idea where to start. Everyone seems to have a youth ministry. How do I start one? Working with youth in our churches is tough. That's why we're hosting our first ever Ignite Youth Leaders Day a resourcing and training event for pastors, leaders, and volunteers on Saturday, February 11th. There will be workshops by Preston Santuolo, Dr. Kenda Creasy-Dean, Kermit Moss, and other GNJ local church leaders on topics such as hip-hop ministry, starting a youth ministry from scratch, leading student mission trips, and how not to suck at confirmation. Register today for only $15 at ignitenj.org. Hope to see you there. Thank you again for tuning in today's podcast. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. We will be posting a new podcast every other Wednesday. So if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.